I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm trying to teach to you what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is not the millennium. In fact, there's no such thing as a millennium. That is, it's one of the most insane things that people are preaching today. If you read in the McClinican Strong, you look up Kiliasm. Kiliasm. It will tell you that Kiliasm was the study of a thousand year reign. Kiliasm. C H I L I A S M. That is actually the word either Kilia, C H I L I A, or Kilioi, C H I L O I. That's the word that they've translated to thousand, T-H-O-U-S-A-N-D. I keep saying this, thousand, one thousand, the way we write it, there were no zeros in the Roman numerals. Thousand in Roman numerals is the, is the letter M. That's just like X is 10 or IX is 9 or, or IIX is 8 and so forth. Or V123, excuse me, I did that wrong. V123 is 8 and M is 1000. That's the way it's written in Roman numerals. I do not believe the translators knew a lot about numbers. I put a lot of study in numbers. You mean you're smarter than those guys that translated the King James Bible? I won't say I'm smarter, but I will say that I am more objective than they were. I don't believe they were objective when it comes to uh, numbers. Mr. Bullinger and other numbers experts, they'll tell you that any multiple of ten a hundred or a thousand was a form of the original number and they'll tell you that thousand is not an adjective they'll tell you that thousand is a noun and you say what do you mean not an adjective adjective 999 is an adjective Adjectives modify nouns and pronouns. And they tell which, what kind of, or how many. 999 would be an adjective. 1,000. 1,000 is a noun because it's a form of one. And when you have uh, an adjective, it modifies the noun. 1,000 years. Except it's not thousand, it's either kilia or kilioi, and that is plural. I have, I have studied and studied and studied this for years. I've got a, I've got a, a, a thing I got off the internet, it's on thousand. And it'll tell you this is, the etymology of thousand comes from the Middle English, T-H-O-U-S-E-N-D, Thusand, or T-H-U-S-A-N-D, Thusand, from the Old English, Pusand, from Proto-Germanic, Pusandi, 
from the cognate Scox, thousand, Saterland, Frisian, Dusend, and so forth. It's got all of these things it comes from. And I want you, the reason I'm saying this is because all of the so-called scholars take that take that last uh, next to the last chapter, not the next to the last, the twentieth chapter of Revelation. And I'm wanting to say this slow so you'll understand. When you go to the twentieth chapter of Revelation, let me get my other Bible. This is my old Bible. It's easier for me to use. I can't turn the pages of these new ones. And if they're new Bibles, I can't turn the pages. If they get real old, I can't turn the pages because they stick together. So when we go over here, this is something you have to study. It's not something that just happens. You can't just look at it and say, I'm going to take it for what the English says. You can't trust the English in a lot of the Bible words. And you can't trust the numbers. Now, and it depends, Mr. The fellow that wrote this on the Internet, this is from the definition from the Wiktionary and the, or the Free Dictionary. He tells you a lot of things about thousand that we do not know. And it says here, now there's some keys to understanding this. And I saw an angel come down, this 20 verse 1. I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit. Now, we have to understand bottomless pit. I've never heard a preacher even understands that. Never. I've listened to every prophecy teacher in my life. Jack Van Hippie didn't understand it. Hal Lindsey didn't understand it. Bottomless pit is the word abusos. A-B-U-S-S-O-S. Well, I set my pen down. I don't know what I did with it. A-B-U-S-S-O-S. This is the word bottomless pit. Let me erase some of this. Bottomless pit is the word A-B-U-S-S-O-S. That is not working well. I'm going to have to give me another That don't work at all. All right. A-B-U-S-S-O-S. That is the word bottomless pit. I don't know why they translate it this way. That's a stupid translation. But that wasn't God's word, and that was those translators. Abusos comes from the word bathos, B-A-T-H-O-S-S, or bathizo, B-A-T-H-I-Z-O. That's the word used in 1 Corinthians, the, the second chapter that speaks of the deep things of God. And that means something with great knowledge. Well, when the Alpha is front of a word, 
as a negative particle and that's what this is when you look up bottomless pit it would say from bathos and the negative particle that's the first letter of the greek alphabet negative particle is called the alpha privative The alpha privative. It negates the word right that it's placed right before. It makes it it makes the word right after it negative. So it means a place of no knowledge. Now isn't that funny? Look here. Let's look at this uh, let's look at this map here of Israel. Okay, here. Now let's look at this. This should be pretty easy to understand. Israel, on the eastern end of the Mediterranean, it opens up at right here at the bottom of Spain and the top of Africa in the Strait of Gibraltar. Everybody here has no knowledge of God and what He did. He only gave Israel His knowledge. Nobody else in the Old Testament. Not till Acts 2 did he pour it out upon all flesh. So the place of no knowledge, Satan has to be bound away from the church or from Israel or from spiritual Israel. So there was no knowledge in all the rest of the world. And as far as most people were concerned back then, this was the civilized world. This is all of the biblical area of the Bible. All of this right there. It's right on the sea. That's why the beast, which is Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, rises up out of the sea. It's not hard. Now, if preachers would preach with maps, they'd see this. Now he says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having a key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. Chain doesn't mean something made out of metal. It just means something that forbids. And he laid hold on the dragon. Dragon doesn't mean King George and the dragon out of English mythology. It's not what it's talking about. Dragon is the word dracon. D-R-A-K-O-N. It means to fascinate. And we know that the dragon is the same thing as the bottomless pit. Or, excuse me, the dragon is the same thing as Babylon in Revelation, the 12th chapter and 13th chapter, because they both, Babylon has seven heads and ten horns, and the dragon has seven heads and ten horns. And the dragon has the basic same meaning as serpent in Genesis 3 and 1. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. Serpent is the word nakash, N-A-C-H-A-S-H. And nakash means to enchant. I like what one writer said. He said nakash means it's not the same word as serpent throughout the Old Testament. It's It means to kill with the eye. 
And remember, Eve looked at the tree. And that's how she began to be involved in idolatry. E-I-D-O-L-O-L-A-T-R-E-I-A is the word idolatry in the Greek. It comes from ido, meaning to see, and latruo, meaning to serve. It means to serve what you put into your eyes and your ears. I think that makes us all idolaters, doesn't it? We've all done that. Now, let's get back here to verse 2. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and bound him. Now, devil is the word diabolos. It means to deduce, to traduce or lead astray. you got two words for devil. It's always said, it's always translated devil in the English Bible, but it's either Diabolos, D-I-A-B-O-L-O-S, means to seduce and lead astray with false doctrine or deception. And you have the word D-A-I-M-O-N-I-O-N, which comes from the root Dio, D-A-I-O, which means to distribute fortunes. And that has to do with money. Distribute fortunes. And the love of money is the root of all evil. Love of money is the, is the word that means to have a desire for shining. Philogoria, love of money. Philogoria, P-H-I-L-A-R-G-U-R-I-A. It comes from philos and argury, A-R-G-U-R-Y. Argury, we get our word argue with that, from that. It means shining or silver. So love of money means love of being able to shine above other people. I like that. That's what it's about. Now, let's get back to this text here. And Satan, Satan is just the word satan, or satanas, and it means to be an adversary. And bound him. Bound is the word dio. When you get in the 18th chapter of Matthew, this is the word bound. Satan is bound Dio. That means to forbid or declare unlawful and the exact opposite of Dio is Luo. Luo means to loose Or to permit or declare lawful. So you got to know what this word bound means. It doesn't mean there's some pit out there that Satan is put into. He's bound or forbidden away from the church, away from God's people. And we are spiritual Israel. So he's forbidden from doing something. Let's see what he's forbidden from doing. This is why you have to know what thousand actually means. He is 
bound him a thousand years. I don't believe it says a thousand. A is never in the text in the in the Greek. You have three articles in English: the, a, and an. A and an are never in the Greek. You can only put an A in there if the context calls for it. But who's going to be able to figure out what the context is without studying it? You can't put those in there. So this doesn't belong here. A thousand doesn't belong there. The word thousand is the word kilioi. Kilioi doesn't mean one one thousand. That would be singular. As a noun, thousand is a noun, actually. And this writer of this that tells you these things on the Internet, the origin of a thousand, it's a noun just like dozen. Dozen or pound. It's dozen is one, but it's twelve. Thousand is one thousand, but it's one the way they count numbers. And pound is 16 ounces in a pound, but it's one. So thousand is singular, just like dozen. And it has to be because of what it's going to say here. It it goes on to say, and cast him into the place of no knowledge. That's what it says. Cast him away from the church and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he deceive the nations no more. Now the word nations is worth ethnos. Ethnos is the word nation. And it's also the exact word Gentile. Boy, you talk about something there. Satan is forbidden, bound, forbidden from deceiving the Gentiles for whatever this thousand or two thousand years is. The only place, now, how in the world could you have a thousand year reign after this is all over? And Satan is not be able to to deceive the Gentiles. What the, the way the dispensationalists put it, they say, "Well, you got all these periods of time that they call dispensations." I love putting dispensation on the board because that's not the word. They say, "Well, Adam lived in the dispensation of innocence, innocence." And Noah lived in the dispensation of conscience. And then you had the dispensation of law. And they make dispensations a period of time. That's ridiculous. First of all, the definition of dispensation. What is it? What is the word dispensation? O I K O N O M I A. When you look up dispensation in a Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, this is what it will tell you it is. And it will say in the definition economy. 
it will say that in your Strong's, in your Strong's Concordance. If you take a Webster's Dictionary and you look up the word economy, use one of these collegiate dictionaries that has the word origins in it, it will tell you. You look up the word economy, it will tell you it comes from the Greek word O-I-K-O-N-O-M-I-A. If you say oikonomia fast, oikonomia, oikonomi, it sounds like economy, doesn't it? That's because it is. And the really the amazing thing about dispensation it's the exact same word as stewardship. Why they? I don't know why they did what they did. Stewardship. And if you look at the word steward, oikonomos, O-I-K-O-N-O-M-O-S, both of those words come from oikos and nomos. Nomos is the Greek word law. The law. Oikos is the word house or family. It's the law of the house of God that we dispense. And what's the house of God? Christ is the son of his own house. Whose house are we? It's what comes from our mouth. That's a dispensation. We dispense the word of God. Has d- d- These guys that are teaching dispensation is a period of time. And what they've come up with, the reason they don't want to define all of this, the reason they don't want to define it all is because you're going to mess up their dispensationalism they're going to say you got the law of dispensation of the law and then you got the dispensation of grace which is the church i didn't understand those i saw those charts hanging around independent baptist church when i was growing up i couldn't figure them out i said boy i don't understand those nobody can understand them they don't make any sense and what you're going to do is you're going to mess up their seven years Tribulation, which is for the Jews only, and you're going to mess up their pre-trib rapture, and you're going to mess up their thousand-year reign. What I want to ask them: if the Jews are for, if if Satan is forbidden from deceiving the Gentiles for a thousand years during that thousand-year reign, can the Jews be deceived during that thousand years? You understand what I'm saying? I'm being sarcastic. I'm being sarcastic. If the if you get what I'm saying, if the Gentiles can't be deceived for that thousand year reign, can the Jews be deceived? That's ridiculous. There's not a thousand year reign, and there's no seven years of tribulation. How do you know that, Jim? Time factor. I brought it out to you the other day. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 51, 52, and 53, Behold, I show you a mystery. Now the mystery always when it's referring to the church. Mystery is the word musturian. 
comes from muo, meaning to shut the mouth. We get our word mute from that. It means to keep the mouth shut. Anytime you see the mystery concerning God's mysteries, the church. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Well, I better tell you this. Revealed is the exact opposite of mystery. Revealed is the word apocalypto, A-P-O-K-A-L-U-P-T-O. Calupto is the word cover. Apo means to remove the cover. Well, reveal, God reveals himself to whomsoever he will there in John uh, 10, 31, 21, I believe it is. So he's, he reveals himself, and the mystery of God is the church. Now, behold, I'll show you mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trump. That's when we change. Last trump. Last trump. You've got seven trumpets. The last is the word eschatos. E-S-C-H-A-T-O-S. It means the last in a series after which no other trumpet will sound. The last in the series. You've got seven trumpets. In Revelation, Revelation 8, chapter, 9th chapter, and 10th chapter. And the seventh trumpet sounds in Revelation 10 and 7. Let's look at it one more time. Revelation 10 and 7. The last one sounds. I'm going to try to get back to the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is not a thousand-year reign. The kingdom of God is the church that's here now. We're ruling with a scepter of righteousness. Look at Revelation 10. Well, before we get to 10, let's look at the seven trumpets. I'm not going to go through all of them. Chapter 8, verse 7. I saw the seven angels. Now, this word, the, we know who that's one particular set of seven angels. Who is that? We look at Revelation, the first chapter. And you see, in the right hand of Christ, he stands amidst seven golden candlesticks. And in his right hand is seven stars in verse 16. Well, the seven stars goes on and on and on. The seven stars in the sky was considered Pleiades or the, the Pleiades was said to bring the crops up in the stream. And the Pleiades was called the morning star. That was an imitation of Christ who is the morning star. And it says down here in verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars in the, which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. If you don't remember anything about Revelation, remember this verse. This is 
the glossary for the entire book. You've got these seven stars and seven candlesticks all through the book. But he tells you what they are. The seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks are the seven churches. And without the oil, which the angel, angel is the word angelos, A-G-G-E-L-O-S. That's the word angel. It means messenger. What's A candlestick is worth nothing without a light. When you have these seven candlesticks here, they're good for nothing without the oil in the candlesticks. It has to have oil in the candlesticks. The oil is a picture and a type of the Holy Spirit. That's what gives the light of the candlesticks. And you and I are the candlesticks. And the word of God coming out of our mouth is the light. Now, where was I? All right, look over here. Back in Revelation 10. And, well, let's read about the different... Let's look at 8. And these... These candlesticks are the. You can't have the candlesticks without the oil. The oil gives the light out of the top of the candlesticks. God even tells the church at Ephesus in the second chapter if you don't begin to walk in the commandments of God again, I'll remove your candlestick. What he's saying, I'll remove your light. I'll remove your Holy Spirit. And then he says here. In verse 7 of chapter 8, the first angel sounded. I'm not going to go through all of them. It's too much. And then you got in verse 8, the second angel sounded. I will say that there's a mountain burning with fire in verse 8, but the Bible says that Babylon was a proud mountain in the 51st chapter of Jeremiah and God says I'm going to make you a burnt mountain Babylon and Babylon is the mother of all idolatry Revelation 17 and 5 and Babylon is founded on self let us make us the name Babylon is found on the outer man and there was a mountain burning fire. Then we look at Revelation 18, and they see the smoke of the burning of Babylon. So this is the end of time. Revelation 18 is the end of time. Revelation is not a chronological movements or acts through the book. It's not one following another. John is standing, looking at certain things happening, and then he's looking from another viewpoint on another vision. And a lot of those are the same vision. Just looking at it from different viewpoints. Then he says, The fourth angel sounded. The third sounds in verse 9. The fourth angel sounds in verse 12. The fifth angel sounds in 9 and 1. And the sixth angel sounds in 9 and 13. And then we get to the last trumpet sounding. We're going to be changed at the last trump. Let's see if there's a thousand-year reign in this chapter. 
It'd have to be in this chapter. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and with a rainbow. Rainbow is the word iris. The, the iris of the eye. I could spend a day on that. The iris of the eye is a retractable curtain right here. And the Bible says, whoever touches Israel has touched the apple of my eye, the Baal. Baal in in Zechariah, the second chapter, and the Hebrew means pupil. God says, you touch my church or my people, and you're punching me in the eye. That's why he's coming back with eyes as a flame of fire. Coming back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all those that know not God and that obey not the gospel. Then he says here, then you've got rainbow, the iris. Gosh, I, I can't go into that. There's so much to it. Was upon his head. It is interesting to understand that the rainbow was a war bow. When you saw the bow like this, hanging with the bow upward, they were at peace. When the bow was like this, they were at war. And that's what Jesus is coming back. He's coming back in war. When you read the 19th chapter of Revelation and read that second Thessalonians, the first chapter, you see Christ coming back in flaming fire. The Jesus of the Bible is not going to be Jesus, gentle Jesus making lowly anymore. He's the one I am with. I am on his side. And the whole world is going to be destroyed at his coming. And then you see, I can't talk about the the uh, that fifth chapter of the scorpions. It's, it takes me about two weeks just to preach on that. And then he says, and he had in his hand a little book. That's the little book that he put in his mouth. It was bitter in his mouth. It was sweet in his mouth and bitter when it got to his stomach. And he had in his hand a little book. And he said his right foot, I believe the little book is the same thing as the seven stars in his right hand because he had the little book in his right hand in chapter 4. And he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the earth and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth and when he had cried seven thunders uttered their voices. I've had people write to me and say, what are the seven thunders? I said, well, read verse 4. When the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered and write them not. I don't know. All I can say is when thunders come, storms come. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that therein are and the earth and the things that therein are and the sea and the things that therein that there should be time no longer. There's no more time. This is when the seventh trumpet sounds. And in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, 
the mystery of God, mystery of God according to Ephesians, the third chapter and the fifth chapter is the church. The mystery of God is finished. Teleotes. T-E-L-E-I-O-T-E-S. Finished. Complete. The last one comes into the fold at the signing of the seventh trump. And it's all over. There is no time after the last trump. Do you see that? I don't know why I'm the only guy that can see that of all these preachers in America of John MacArthur. How how Lindsay never saw that. Why is it I can see the last trump and they can't? There's something happens at the last trump. Something else happens. There's no seven years tribulation after the last trump. Can you see that? There's no thousand years after the last trump. Time is over. You guys are blind, John. What's wrong with you? You know what they're doing? They're preaching some statement of faith that they learned in a seminary. That's all. I didn't go to seminary. I've never been to seminary in my life. Never took a Greek course in my life. Seminary will get you messed up because you'll be required to go with their statement of faith that that seminary uh, preaches. I don't believe in that. Now, something else happens at the signing of the seventh trump. In chapter 11, it shows the last trump signing. It's not signing twice. It shows you something else is happening during the signing of this last trump. He says in verse 15, And the seventh angel sounded. That's the last trump. And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, the, when the last trump sounds, he conquers all of his enemies. How can? How can you have... How can you have now the way these these pre trip rapture people say it they've got seven years here they have a pre trip rapture which I do not believe in. Then they got people dying all through this tribulation dying. And then they have a thousand year reign and they have people dying all through that. What does the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians say the last enemy of God is? Death. He destroys death when the last trump sounds. Everything's over. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. I don't know why. I didn't go to school to learn this. I started studying Bible 67 years ago. I started studying the Greek text about 43, 44 years ago. I don't know how I can find this, and, and John MacArthur can't find it. John, I don't understand. You seem to be a very bright, intelligent man. I believe he is. I believe he's... He's one of those guys that he's straddling the fence on some of these things. 
and he won't deal with the words. He never defines words. Now here in the 15th chapter, now he says here, in verse verse 24, well, let's read 23. I'm going to go back to 19. I love that verse. In this life only, if we have in this life only hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. But since by man came death, by man also came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all men die, even so in Christ shall all believers be made alive, not everyone in the world. But every man in his own order Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God. What is that talking about? Delivered is a word that means paradidomai, it means to surrender up to heaven. That's the same thing as when, when Christ shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Well, that's over. In, well, let's look at that real quick. First Thessalonians 4. How, how can this be? If you define the words, you're going to see it can't be the way the preachers are preaching it. I've got a book. It's by Enoch Pond, Church Historian. And I need to bring it and read it to you. He talks about when the thousand year after Christ came about, a thousand A.D., that all the churches in the world were teaching that Christ was coming in a thousand A.D. because of what is said is a thousand years. And people didn't know it's not talking about a thousand, it's talking about two thousand. If Satan is not going to be able to deceive the Gentiles, what is the time period that he can't deceive the Gentile church? Started at Acts 2. That's the birth of the Gentile church. And it goes to the end of time. That's 2,000 years where the Gentile church cannot be deceived by Satan. That is what they turned around and called millennium. Mill annum means 1,000 years. And I don't believe that. It's kilia or kilioi. I just don't understand what people... Where did I say we're going to look here? Yeah. First Thessalonians 4. And every one of these places where the church is going to be delivered up. Let's look here at verse 13. But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now, that doesn't mean there's a sleeping time for the soul. The body is over here in a tomb asleep. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Lazarus died and was carried to Abraham's bosom. The rich man died and in hell he lifted up his eyes. 
So sleep just means the body, doesn't mean the spirit. We go be with God. That you saw not, even as others, which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus, now most of the pre-tribulation rapture people read this and say this is a secret coming. When I define two words, I want you to see how this cannot possibly be a, a secret coming. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also that sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. They're going to have be in this tomb down here. Their spirit is going to be with the Lord. And they'll come down and hit the ground, boom, and they'll be changed in a moment in the twinkle of an eye at the last trump. Now let's keep reading. For this is the this is the this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. The word coming is parousia. P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A. It means physical arrival. He's coming back physically arrived. We that are alive and remain, remain is the word perilipa. Perilipa means to survive a great slaughter. The church is going to go under an attack from the world ruling system. We were to alive and survive. Shall not shall not prevent, which means to go before. Fathano, P H G H A N O. We will not go before those that are in their graves. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. I want to know what is this doing being, being a, a silent coming when the word shout is the word kaloma. K-E-L-E-U-M-A means a war cry. Now what's he doing making a war cry at a silent coming? That is ridiculous. You preachers out there that preach that, which my father was one of them, you, I had to go against everything my father preached to come up with these things. I had to look at the Greek text. We which survive great slaughter will not go before those that are asleep. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a war cry. And you call that a silent coming? Who's he making war against? He's got a war cry and he says, okay, shh, everybody come up here. We're going to be quiet for seven years. Good grief. I, I don't understand these guys. Now go back over here. First Corinthians 15. And then cometh the end, verse 24. And he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God. That's us going out to meet him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. When he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. That's what he did at the seventh trump, isn't it? In 1115. That's when the kings of this world have become the kings of our Lord and his Christ. 
and he reigns forever and ever. For he must reign. Oh, you mean he's reigning right now? Yes. Till he hath put down all, put all his enemies under his feet. That's what he said over there in Re- at the signing of the seventh trump in Revelation 11 and 15. 11.15, i got to read it to you again. 11.15, the seventh angel sounded. There were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Forever and ever means always. How could he be reigning forever and ever if you got a, if you got a thousand year reign here? One thousand year reign. And they say that Satan's going to rise up at the end of that thousand years. He's not reigning forever and ever. If Satan got rises up at the end of the thousand years, is he? Now I made A's in all my math classes in high school. I was a whiz. To me, this adds up. I know you guys must have flunked. They had to have flunked algebra and geometry and trig. It don't add up to me that there's a thousand years or seven years after the last trump. I don't even understand that. Besides that, there's so many trumps all through the scripture. That's the last or the seventh trump. In the Jewish calendar, they had a that a they had an ecclesiastical calendar. It had to do with their festivals. Started in Nissan, March, April. That's when the first crops started coming in. Crops. That was God's promise to Israel. I'll give you plenty of crops, and you'll have, if you're obedient to me. But if you're not obedient, I'll send somebody like Elijah and there won't be any rain for three and a half years. How do you like that? Well, if we did without rain for three and a half years in America, millions of people would die. you realize that? And every month, they started with the first month, they had an ecclesiastical year, and it lasted through the end of the harvest, end of harvest. And every month, one, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. They had seven months, and they would have a festival at the beginning of the month. And they called this a new moon festival. And they sounded a trumpet. And they sounded on the second month, the third month, the fourth month, the fifth month, the sixth month. And the seventh month was the end of the harvest where they called in all the sheep, separated the sheep from the goats, separated the wheat from the tares. They harvested all of it and threw the tares into the fire. And this was a seven-trumpet ecclesiastical calendar their regular year went from Nissan to Nissan down here this was their crops calendar it was according to Deuteronomy 28 when God says if you're obedient to me 
I'll give you all the crops you need and your enemy will, your children be born and they'll be born healthy and none of them be stillborn. But if you're not obedient to me, I will not give you crops and I'll cause no rain. I will cause too much rain. And the mildew will kill your crops. And they said, oh, please don't do that. That's what Samuel told him when they took Saul to his coronation in the 11th chapter of 1 Samuel. He kept one or 12th chapter of 1 Samuel. And Samuel warned him. He said, you want this man to be king? Here's what will happen. God will give you no rain or too much rain. They said, please don't do that. It will wash your crops away. They will mildew and you'll have nothing to eat. Now, let's keep reading this. He must reign. Is he reigning now? Yes. How is Christ reigning? He's reigning in us. If he, if we are priests and kings, and he hath made us priests and kings, according to the first chapter and the fourth chapter of Revelation, he hath made us priests and kings. What do priests do? They offer acceptable sacrifice in Romans 12 and 1. Nowhere in the Bible can you offer a sacrifice unless you are a priest. In 1 Peter 2 and 9 says he hath made us royal priesthood. And in Revelation 1 and 5, he hath made us priests and kings. Well, if we're priests, we offer our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. You arrest us, acceptable. E-U-A-R-E-S-T-O-S. How do we offer our bodies a living sacrifice? Telling people truth and they want to crucify us. And they crucify us spiritually. They crucify us Crucify is the same thing as dying. But death doesn't mean annihilation. It means separation. Thanatos is the word death. T-H-A-N-A-T-O-S. It means separation. So we are separated and people will see us after we tell them Christmas is pagan, Easter is pagan. God does not love everybody. The Bible says so. They'll see you and they'll say, well, i got to go. I can't talk to you. i, I got some things to do. And they'll see you from a distance. And they'll be separating from you. And that's the death. That's a daily cross they want to put you on. He must reign. And we are reigning now as kings. What does a king do? He declares righteous judgment. Look not at the outward appearance, John seven twenty four, but judge righteous judgment. Everybody seems to know Matthew seven and one. Judge not. And they don't know that if a sentence starts with a verb, judge. There's an understood subject. You judge not. Don't you crino decide who's guilty and who's innocent? That's not your business to decide. God has already decided, so judge what He said. I will go against the whole world when it comes to pre-trib rapture. And I'd have to go against every Baptist in America, every Baptist preacher out there. You guys don't know nothing. I'm looking at the camera. 
You don't care what that we're going to be changed at the last trump. The crop's going to come in and everything's going to be separated at the last trump, even in Israel. Where do you think that illustration come from? When you go over to when you go over to Joshua the sixth chapter, when Joshua went into he's going to conquer Jericho, God says, Give these seven priests seven trumpets, march around the city seven times, and on the seventh day at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, shout. And when they shouted, the wall, boom, fell down immediately. There's no time after the shout. No more time. I This bothered me when I was a kid. My father would preach it, and all of his independent Baptist preacher friends would preach it. I don't like it. It goes against the Word of God. Let's keep reading this. For he must reign. He's reigning in us. Till he hath put all enemies under his feet. That's what he said there in Revelation 11 and 15. And the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So when the seventh trumpet sounds death is destroyed there can't be people living through the tribulation at the last trump and dying off during a seven year tribulation much less dying in a thousand year reign and every one of them say that it makes no sense whatsoever I don't even understand these guys I believe that we're I've got this God sovereign pinwheel up here part five i think it's part five it's not tom will change it and i'm talking about the kingdom of god is in you i didn't say that luke when they say the kingdom of god is the millennium you guys are stupid you know it's not the millennium the kingdom is in you jesus said the Scribes and the Pharisees come to him and said, Are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? There in Luke 17, 20 and 21. He said, The kingdom comes not with observation. It's not something you can see. He said, The kingdom of God is in you. Well, it was in us. That's Christ in you, the hope of glory. We are spiritual Israel you guys that don't believe that you don't study your Bibles I don't like preachers and I are one but I don't like there's no preacher out that I believe is telling the whole truth I don't believe John MacArthur some guy wrote me a letter John MacArthur is the greatest scholar in the world mister you hadn't listened to him much have you He's wrong on this. He's wrong on Christmas. He's wrong on preacher rapture. He's wrong on millennium. He's wrong on a whole lot of things. He can't get this stuff together. He will come up and say, I have loved John in the past. He's got a big church in California. They run about 10,000 on Sunday morning. He says he believes in predestination, but he turns right around and says, how can predestination and free will walk hand in hand? I don't know, but they do. John, they do not. We were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God's will. It's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. 
Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power upon them. John. I don't understand how he can say some of the things he says. I'll tell you why I believe he says it. He's got a that panorama college out there. He's got a university. He's probably got 50 or 60 professors he's got to pay their salary. He's got a church where he has 10,000 on Sunday morning. And he's got secretaries all over the place and custodians, and he's got to pay them all. That's why he's compromising. He's been doing that since he went to that church and he was 29 years old. It's hard to change. When you go to a huge church for 60 years or 50 years, it's awful hard to change, isn't it? How can you come up and say, I've been wrong? It's not hard to do. A lot of times... I've written some tracks over there, and I wrote some of them 30, 35 years ago. And there's one in particular I, I say, well, it's wrong. I've got to go back and change it because I don't believe it like that anymore. I'm willing to change if you can show me the exact truth on something. But boy, don't you try to come and show me something and it's holes all in it because I'm going to punch holes in it if I can. If it doesn't stand up to Scripture, don't think I'll believe it just because you think you found something. Because I won't. I've spent my life in this book. When I say I've spent 67 years studying, I don't mean I studied two hours a week preparing for messages. I went for decade after decade where I was digging into my library 30, 35 hours every week just like you would go to work. I don't mean that to boast. I have put that much time in. When something, I have questioned something, I go to it right then. Let me give you another thing on last Trump. Go to Matthew, the 24th chapter. This is on last Trump also. Matthew 24. I don't know why I can see things in the Bible and it's just as plain as day. And some of the preachers out there, you guys are just blind as bats. I don't mean that to be insulting. You just will not open your eyes. Don't think something's true because some guy speaks with eloquence and he's got a tremendous vocabulary. John has that. R.C. Sproul had a great vocabulary. R.C. Sproul was so smart he didn't know how to teach a common man. He used a $40, $50 word about every other sentence. And nobody knew what the word meant and didn't have any idea. I'd listen to him. I'd go, what in the world is that word? Sometimes I'd be riding down the road. And I'd ask my iPhone, what is this word so-and-so? And he'd come up and tell me. But you don't need to teach like that. Somebody's got to go to their iPhone or their computer and find out what the word is. It's ridiculous. Seeing we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Now, I use big words that are Greek, but they weren't big in the first century. Plainness is the word parhesia. means blunt. That's what it means. To the point. Don't beat around the bush. Don't say something that... 
clerk at the grocery store can't can't understand. Don't say something that truck drivers can't understand. A truck driver listening to R.C. Sproul is like, he's in the dark. What is he talking about? I need to record him sometime and just come up here and say some of the things he said. It's ridiculous. Sometimes I listen to him and I'm thinking, how can he say those things? Nobody knows nothing about what you're talking about. He's dead now. He doesn't do anything now. Now, look here in Matthew 24. So, at the last trump, time is over, right? It's over. It's done. And that's when the seventh trumpet sounds. The last trumpet sounds when it's all over. I don't know why you guys have never seen that. Gosh, that's simple. And the last trump, the last trumpet sounds, and time is no more. Have you ever never read that? There can't be seven years of tribulation and a thousand-year reign after the last trump. When my father preached that when I was a kid, I'd go, what? There was a verse I could not get over in Revelation. Even when he, when I was young, and he never explained anything because he didn't know any Greek. I don't mean to put my father down, but he was an honorary man, and I believe his honoriness had to do with not knowing the Bible. There's a verse here, and it's verse 5 of chapter 20. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. That puzzled me at 15 years old. How can there be a thousand year reign and there's certain people that's not going to go be raptured out to meet the Lord until the 2,000 years is over? Well, that's true. Until the 2,000 years is finished, This is the first resurrection. What? That puzzled me as a kid. That's the first verse that puzzled me as a kid. How can there be a pre-trib rapture when the first resurrection is when we're taken out to meet the Lord? And that's after the 2,000 years is done. Now let's go back over here. I'm trying to nail this down. The last trump is it. It's over. It was over in Israel, and it's over in this 24th chapter of Matthew. The apostles come to... How much time do I have, Mike? 26. All right, I can get through this. The apostles come to Jesus. They went out and departed from the temple. In verse 1, his disciples came to him to show him the building of the temple of Herod. Now, Herod's temple covered, I saw a special on this, a documentary. They said it covered about 28 acres. It was huge. It was bigger than the temple that we've got on here. It's because Herod added all these marble places for people to sit and all these additions to it. And it was a magnificent temple. And the apostles and everyone at that time thought the temple would last to the end of time. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things, fear last unto you. 
There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Since they believed it was at the end of time that it would last that long, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now, what will be the sign of thy when will these things be when one stone will not be left on with another? Since it was such a magnificent temple, when is it that the temple is going to be torn down? Temple torn down. And what they're doing, they're putting the temple torn down with the end of the world. That the temple was torn down in 70 A.D. That was by Titus, the Roman general. His father was Vespasian, V-E-S-P-A-S-I-A-N. And he was the Caesar in Rome. And later on, C-A-E-S-A-R, he was the Caesar. Later on, Titus became the Caesar, his son. Titus leveled the temple in 70 A.D. And they didn't realize they were putting this with this and that's not how it was going to work. Titus was going to come in. They thought nobody can take the temple down. It's got stones that weigh 40 tons. And they did. They tore it down. So he starts telling them, these things are going to happen. Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name. Jesus is saying this. They'll come in my name, saying they're of me. And they'll even say that I am Christ. They're not going to say they're Christ. You can't, you can't deceive by saying you're Christ. They're going to say, he says, that I'm Christ. And they'll deceive many. And then he says, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. And these things must come to pass. Nation, ethnos, shall rise against ethnos. Kingdom against kingdom, pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. But why are they going to hate us? Because we're going to say what Jesus said. God does not love everybody. He loved Jacob and hated Esau before either one were born. Well, the Apostle Paul said that, but you have to believe it. he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Then many shall be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold, suko, P-S-U-C-H-O, Love will die. Agape will die. Walking in the commandments of God will die. This is agape that we walk after his commandments, Second John 6. I believe that's happening today. I just don't believe the church is walking in the commandments of God. Then they that endure shall the end shall the same shall be saved. Endure and patience are the same word. Endure is the word hupomeno. And patience is the word hupo 
Monet. That's the noun form. The triangular face is more precious than gold that perishes, though we've tried by fire. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. It's being preached. It was being preached in Acts 2 when it, when it is, God poured out of his spirit on all men or all flesh. And then he says, when you see the desolation of abomination, I, I'm not going to go into that. It's too, too long. Uh, and then he says, down here, he says in verse 21, And then shall be great tribulation, such as not from the beginning of the world to this time, no nor ever shall be. Things are not going to get better and better. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And then he says, Except those days be shortened, no flesh will be saved. No believing flesh will be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if any man says unto you, Here's Christ or there, don't believe it. If the Jehovah's Witnesses say they went out in the desert in 1914 and Jesus is going to meet them out there, they did, he did not come. If the Mormons say they're talking to God in a temple out there in the secret chamber and Utah, don't believe them. That's not true. If Oral Roberts said, said he saw a 900-foot Jesus by that so-called prayer tower out there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Oral Roberts is lying through his teeth. Jesus said so. Then there shall be arise false Christs and false prophets shall show great signs and wonders. They shall deceive. If it were possible, they will deceive their very elect. And then he says, wherefore, in verse 26, if they shall say unto you, behold, he's in the desert, don't go out there with the Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm not there. Behold, he is in the secret chambers with the Mormons. I'm not there either. Or if your grandmother says she saw Jesus at the end of her bed in her bedroom, she's been smoking something that night. She's lying. Believe it not. The next time the world sees me is by me. It's a lightning shines from the east to the west. I keep saying east to the west does not mean he's coming out of the east. East to the west means around the world. Every eye shall see him. Then he says in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Okay, the time factor here is after it's all done, after the tribulation, Shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light. That has to do with truth. I always have to read this to you over in Micah. Micah, the third chapter. The sun sun be darkened, the moon not give her light. It's not talking about the literal sun and the literal moon. For the moon to be turned to blood meant to die. And I'll give you this one more time. Oh, Jehovah, died Jonah. Oh, died Jonah, Micah. Micah, the third chapter, talking about the prophets in Israel because God's displeased with them because they're worshiping Baal in the grove. Verse 5, chapter 3, Micah, Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people to err. They bat with their teeth and cry peace, and he putteth not into their mouths, they even prepare war against God. Therefore, night shall be unto you, and ye shall not have a vision. And it shall be dark unto you, prophets, 
in Israel that ye shall not divine and the sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be dark over them that's what the sun turned to darkness and the moon turns to blood it's not talking about a blood moon like that ignoramus down there in San Antonio says and then he says here the stars shall fall from heaven that's the seven stars on the right hand of Christ and the heavens be shaken then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man. And then, what's the time factor after the tribulation? That's what it says in verse 29. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. They haven't sounded yet before the end of the tribulation, have they? This is at the end. After the tribulation of those days, he'll send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. That's the end. The last trump. There's no time after that. It's over. I want to ask one of these guys that preached this millennium. you got a thousand-year reign. You come to the end of it. Does God say, okay, everybody, shift gears. We're going to heaven now. That's crazy, isn't it? You, you mean, you, you get to the end of the thousand-year reign, what's that good for if you got heaven after that? I don't even understand these guys that preach millennium, especially when, when time is no more after the seventh trump. Lord of mercy. Do I have any time, Mike? I'll give you one other thing here. Go to Philippians. Philippians, the third chapter. This goes with... This goes with Ephesians, Philippians. This goes with the... The change at the last trump. Speaking of Jesus Christ, verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven. Conversation, anastrepho, means way of living. Heaven is a term for Israel, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God or heavens. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. That's the change. According to the working, energeo, word working, E-N-E-R-G-E-O. We get our word energy from that. It comes from in and ergon. It means to work ergon within. According to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things to himself. That's when the last trumpet sounds, when he subdues all things. Now, now, why can I find these things and these preachers can't? I don't think it's genius. You know, one thing I'm not messed up with, having gone to some seminary 
and having been corrupted and deceived by their statement of faith. That's what you get when you go to Southwestern or or the Baptist Seminary in Louisville. You have to accept pre-trib rapture. You got to accept millennium. You got to accept Christmas. You got to accept all those things. Otherwise, you make a lot of enemies of those people. I don't understand. And there's so much more to all this. I can't get to everything. Anyway, how much time do I have, Mike? I'm going to go into the kingdom of God. Let me go back over here to just to show you in Luke 11. Luke 11. This is how the kingdom of God comes to us. And God's going to deliver up the kingdom of God of the church up to heaven to him. To meet the Lord in the air, and so shall it ever be the Lord. And he says here in Luke 11, this is kind of a theme to me. People want to know how devils cast out, how demons cast out. In Luke 11, verse 20, But if I with the finger of God... Wait a minute, that's in red letters, isn't it? That's Jesus talking. Jesus said, if I were the finger of God, cast out devils. You can't just leave that word devils there. You've got to define it. The word devils is the word daemonion. It's our word demon. <laughs> Jesus said, he's the one that cast out devils by his finger. Cast out D-A-I-M-O-N-I-O-N. Demonion is our word demon. It comes from the root dio, D-A-I-O, meaning to distribute fortunes. It, it, I don't know why I can define these things and come up with them, and they can't. What does God do with his finger? Well, he... In 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, verses 3 and 4, he writes upon fleshy tables of our heart with his finger. What did he do in the Old Testament? He said over there in Deuteronomy 9, I write my law upon tables of stone. He sprinkles the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. Our hearts are sprinkled in the New, and our hearts are the spiritual Ark of the Covenant. But the heart didn't mean the right ventricle and the left ventricle and the aorta and the that is not what it meant. And I remember that from tenth grade biology. It meant the understanding. That's what the heart meant. And he says over in Matthew twelve This is the same thing. So when demons are cast out, it's because when one of the apostles says Jesus said, go out and cast out devils. He's telling them to take the word of God and write it upon their hearts. And you won't know who they are. I don't know who God's elect are. He's got a certain family that he's chosen before the foundation of the world. And we can only write upon their hearts when we tell the truth to them. And only it's kind of like the old Polaroid cameras. When you click it, it takes a picture. 
And when you click upon one of God's family, it takes their picture. But it won't take a picture of a vessel of wrath fitted to destruction. They're not in the picture. And God's people, He's preordained. He's chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ unto Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, that's why He does it, because He wants to. I laid up, I slept last night, I was having a hard time sleeping. And I laid there thinking, God, why would you love Jacob and hate Esau? Jacob was the rascal, not Esau. Jacob was a scoundrel. Cheated his, cheated his brother out of his birthright. Lied to his father. He said, yes, I'm Esau, thy firstborn son. He was just a rounder. Lied to Laban, his father-in-law. Stole from him. What do you wonder why God chose him? He said, God, why don't you kill Jacob? I preached on Jacob one night, and as we was driving home, Mary said, I hate that guy. <laughs> that shows you what the grace of God will do. Because Jacob didn't deserve the love of God at all. He was just a rascal. But such were some of you. Such were you, Jim Brown. Or was I ever? I'm going to go through more of this. Well, I was reading something to you, and I forgot what it was. Huh? Was I reading something to you? Oh, yeah. Matthew 24. Not Matthew, not 24, Matthew 12. Matthew 12 says the same thing. Matthew 12. If I with the Spirit of God cast out devils, I cast, I cast out devils by the Spirit of God. Well, the Holy Spirit is the truth, and that's what Christ writes upon a man's heart there in Luke 11. It's the truth. The Spirit is the truth. John 14, 15, 16, John 15, 26, John 16, 13, 1 John 5 and 6. The Spirit is the truth. So that's what God does with his finger. He writes truth upon the hearts of man. When you cast out devils, you do it with the truth. You tell people, you don't say, come out, thou spell spirit. Some guy's wallowing on the floor over there. And it just disgusts me because you are blaspheming when you say that. When you say you're casting out demons, I'm going and screaming to some guy's ear, come out, thou foul spirit. It's just dumb. You have to tell them the truth. And if they're elect, they'll hear. And if they're vessels of wrath, they won't. Oh, me. And then I'm going to get into these other things about casting out. What I'm going to do, I've got every time on this one page, every time the word cast out devils is out of this word study concordance I can go through here and every time it cast out devils it has to be Jesus casting them out with his word when he writes upon fleshy tables of their heart you can't change from one verse to another well he cast out devils a certain way over here and it's not the same as over here it's always the same 
If you cast out devils by his spirit, the spirit's truth. He cast out devils by his finger over here. It's because he's writing the truth on their heart. It's fairly simple. God does not contradict himself anywhere in this book. I'm going to come back and go through. I've got I've got some other verses on uh, on Luke 11. It goes with Luke 11. That's about the scapegoat in the Old Testament. Well, I'm running out of time. I'm going to I, if I get started on something else, it'd take me off a hundred miles, and I will never quit for about two hours. So I'm going to stop right here. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Lord, help us to show people what the truth is. I pray for the ministry that you'll reach out and take this message around the world. How that it's the truth, Lord. I know it is. I don't care how many people vote against it. Your word is still truth. You are a majority of one. Thank you for your truth and for all you teach us. God will praise you for everything, give you glory for everything that's happening. And I pray you'll strengthen the flock here, cause them to understand these words. I know you will. Fight our battles. we got a lot of people that want to stop us. Stop them, Lord. I give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'm going to get to the kingdom of God is is the church next message. <laughs>